The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Four games to discuss here. Going to start with the game fives that took place tonight, then do full breakdowns of the game fours from last night. We're going to start with Denver-Portland, which is not over, but it's over. Denver leads by 28. Myers Leonard is in. It's over. (laughs) Uh, It's just been a massive struggle for Portland in this one. Nikola Jokic, another dominating effort from him. I think he's got five offensive rebounds and has scored on all five of them. 18 points, 18 rebounds, 5 assists. Jamal Murray had some beautiful finishes as the Nuggets pulled away in the second quarter, 34-22. to He's got 18 points. And Paul Millsap dominated it in the first half with 19 points of his own as Terry Stotts gambit to go with Ennis Cantor on Paul Millsap and Alfaruk Aminu guarding Jokic so they could switch Jokic-Murray actions did not work. It really failed. And I'm fine with trying something because we'd seen Portland base approaches just didn't work and so in a game where Denver had an advantage they've been they've been a strong home team wanted to do something different not a problem there but overall I just thought Portland's defense I mean they were flat on both ends but I thought the defense was the more striking part they they weren't doing the effort plays they were getting beat on second chance points and in transition and maybe that means what Terry Stotts needs to do and and you could say that Mm -hmm. this has already happened in, in part because of Seth Curry playing more and a few other things if you're not going to play defense then you might as well play off yeah yeah i think that's a, a good point go with hood or curry at the three mo harkless uh, has struggled he only had 13 minutes in the competitive portion of the game here aminu i think he's just seems like he's really getting worn down having to play against Jokic. you know just he, he's not had much of an effect on the defensive glass only two defensive rebounds uh, for him and his canter is just not the same on either end i think with, with that shoulder issue or he just can't knock heads the way he would like to and i mean the the blazers just don't have good defensive personnel you know it's not a surprise that they are getting eaten up this way i mean and denver you know 125 offensive rating 130 in the first half and they're not even shooting that many threes they're shooting that well from threes they're just beating them up in the paint on the fast break portland i see they finally got a fast break point uh but through midway through the third they hadn't scored at all in transition they'd missed some but yeah, yeah i mean they and portland this game could have looked different I don't think they would have won I don't even think it necessarily would have been close if they had hit a few shots their shot chart through three quarters is pretty is pretty striking 14 to 26 in the restricted area that was by far their best part of the floor two of 12 from floater range three of 13 from two pointers outside the paint and then three of 19 above the break threes when you consider some of the shooters that they have granted not everybody is is Damian Lillard but Lillard two for nine CJ missed a few and then 
than, you know, like Seth Curry struggling as well. Yeah, I mean, he's only 0 for 2, and he can play more. I mean, I think in the first half, particularly just not getting up enough three-point attempts. This is a Denver team that will give up threes, particularly corner threes. And the reason they do that is because they put two on the ball in pick and roll. Well, when you have Aminu out there who just has now struggled to one of eight in this game in 24 minutes and just hasn't hit a three since, what, like game one? And and not only that, but who Denver has been conceding those shots and taking other things away. They've been totally fine with Al Farouk Aminu taking all the shots he can eat. And I agree with that strategy. Yeah, and Paul Millsap is a great help defender. You see him come over with some blocks, got some strips as well, just not guarding Aminu at all. But, you know, I mean, Aminu is their best hope of competing defensively in theory and Harkless. You know, and Evan Turner is not any better. So, I mean, maybe you play Hood more, maybe you play Curry more. They closed the game with Curry in game four and they were able to score. I do think that to me, their bigger problem was the offense in this game. I mean, to have a 90 offensive rating in the first half, despite the fact that they took 19 shots at the rim in the first half, just not being able to make a jump shot, I think is just such a problem. And, you know, Lillard had 18 in the first half and they're still down by 17 because they're scoring less than a point per possession. And they're just, they don't have a way to stop this Denver team. We knew that coming in. We thought this would be a series with offensive fireworks, but Portland has just been a little bit more inconsistent. And that's just been the theme of this series to me is that Denver is has so many more ways to attack Jokic and Murray in pick and roll the handoff game Jokic and Harris Jokic posting up Jokic getting a screen from one of the guards one of the guards screening away from Jokic Paul Millsap in the post they just have uh, Will Barton can run some pick and roll off the bench and Portland doesn't really have anyone like that so they just have so many more, more ways to attack whereas Portland all right if Damon CJ don't have it going then you know you're done for that right and, and that's been a little bit more of the story that we've seen in some of the other series when Portland has faced talented opposition you know like going back to the Warriors and I'm not comparing Denver to those teams but the idea that they're so reliant on a few things going really right or their bench just stepping up and playing out of their minds like at moments they have but not not overall and I want to keep an eye on on Rodney Hood he was had a contest on Millsap that led to a four-point play and he was grabbing his ankle after that Portland is incredibly shallow they really only have three guys who played meaningful minutes off their bench in the competitive portion of this game Evan Turner was more marginalized in this one and so if Hood is limited or can't go or anything like that it becomes a a a far bigger problem and I mean now there are two must-win games for the Portland Trailblazers yeah let's talk about what we expect going forward I mean I think if your stats maybe you go back to Cantor on Jokic I think so I I think maybe even more two big laps maybe I mean Zach Collins probably is providing you more offense than Aminu is at this point and Collins at least provide something as a help defender on the boards when he's a center by himself he's been getting overpowered I think but maybe you do try and get those guys together maybe even encourage Denver to play Jokic and Plumlee together more which I think kind of slows down their offense a little bit and I mean that's been a part of what what's happened in the Toronto series I mean basically if you can't if you can't do it with a small guy at power forward or maybe or maybe you just you aren't going to see as many of the downsides getting exploited of going that big why not try it it's an interesting idea yeah, let the Blazers get a little bit more on the offensive glass themselves. I mean, I um, would worry about Collins getting in foul trouble because he can be uh, yeah. handsy, and, and that could be a problem. But it, I think it's worth trying, and I still think this series is going back for seven, but I f- do feel silly about, uh, somewhat silly about picking Portland to win that game seven considering how well, other than their their single loss, Denver has played at home overall in the series. I mean, they were they were great. Tonight. Yeah, no, I, I mean, this is uh, a very, very good offensive team, and Nicole Yoko 
Jokic has been unstoppable so far in these playoffs I'd be very interested to see what happens when he plays against an actual good defense in the next round you know I, I expect he's still going to have a lot of success uh, to be honest but you know we'll see whether Denver can defend and other than that you know I'm not sure what Portland can do these teams kind of have themselves uh figured out at this point have each other figured out you know I, I do think just more of Lillard going one-on-one is something that they could look at uh more of McCollum going one-on-one more trying to attack Murray out of those matchups setting the screen way higher on the floor again I mean to just either let Dame get into a three get ahead of steam attacking the big I think when they've done that they've had a lot of success I think they've also had a lot of success with their double drag screens which gives Lillard more room to attack without as much help behind and obviously we talked about maybe Hood or Curry or even uh, Collins playing more at the expense uh, of Aminu or uh, maybe Harkless you know probably only one of those guys out there at once I guess I mean if you know and that assumes that you're just not stopping them you know they may but but I mean there's other than that game two where I thought Denver just shot themselves in the foot every other possession down the floor with missed layups and missed three-pointers Portland hasn't really had an answer yeah so a little news here real quickly some stuff has uh come down the pike I think we should start in Oklahoma City I mean the news coming out as a joint report from Woj and Royce Young about a series of injury related things for Oklahoma City stars Paul George already underwent rotator cuff surgery he had a partially torn tendon in his right shoulder and will miss at least the start of preseason training camp so this is a significant thing means and he has not yet but will have a procedure to done to correct a small tear in the labrum of his left shoulder so he's been dealing with a lot i had him as my mvp in the last one we did before the final one and i mean having a torn labrum or a a, a small tear in your labrum and a partially torn tendon in, in your two shoulders can explain some struggles absolutely and uh, certainly probably didn't feel very good to raise his arms above his head and shoot and also i think a big part of it too is when you've got those kinds of issues you just, and paul talked about this you just you can't get your normal work in you can't stay in rhythm as a shooter and then you know his he's not necessarily even gonna be ready for the start of training camp so that means that his whole summer this summer is shot now too i mean that's it, to not get a chance to add more to his game when he was shooting the ball so well is a concern also for a guy who excels at getting through screens on the perimeter a lot of what you do is you got to stick that arm out there's a possibility you can kind of get your shoulder messed up as you're trying to get through those screens and you know that's something to watch too maybe his defense will take a step back this is usually the age 29 now for him where that'll start happening russell westbrook also had uh, an injury to the fourth metacarpal of his non-shooting hand uh and so he's gonna have surgery on that but it's supposed to only be a three to four week thing uh and then he also had a proactive maintenance quote-unquote procedure on that surgically repaired right knee well i don't know how invasive it is but i think that would be surgery number five on that knee i believe not great uh but supposedly he will still have time to complete an aggressive summer of preparation i I don't know that he can have any other kind of summer (laughs) i mean he's like if if he's sitting on the couch and watching tv i think he's doing it aggressively frankly uh in phoenix monty william has agreed to a five-year deal to become the new head coach of the suns got the five-year deal did we do this already no we we, there there were discussions but i hadn't finished and and the five five years is important i think that shows not only a little bit of leverage that he had with the suns but also a reflection of hey i need to get extra security because look at what happened to the last guy yeah and interestingly some discussions uh out of la of whether monty was their guy or whether it was ty lu as the lakers are now moving towards a contract with ty lu though haven't agreed to one yet it seems all but inevitable that he will eventually be their next head coach 
coach. But it seems like perhaps that's part of why Monty was able to get the five-year deal out of Phoenix. Uh, well, a little bit yeah. more on the Ty Lue thing. It's also uh, Chris Haynes had that Frank Vogel would could join Lue's staff as a lead assistant. He's previously been a head coach in the league. And also noted that Kurt Rambis, remember his wife Linda is is very close with Genie Bus. Kurt Rambis what, had a quote-unquote significant role in the hiring process, according to Source. And I, I mean, we had lampooned that that both Rambises were involved in the contingent that met with Lou originally. And again, this is people who do not really have a proven track record of making good coaching decisions, making coaching decisions. Yeah. Although, frankly, a former NBA head coach helping to determine who the coach is going to be is actually probably more than a lot. Yeah, of better than and of, better than the yeah. other people they probably had in the room. Yeah, in terms of raw experience, but uh, I would assume Kurt could at least figure out whether the guy knows what he's talking about although obviously uh, and williams have uh extensive pedigrees themselves uh a couple, couple of interesting yeah. things out of the new orleans pelicans so this has been kind of rumored for a little bit mark stein's been on this beat that aaron nelson the sun's athletic trainer is going to actually move to new orleans he has been sought after in previous years by various teams the sun's medical staff has been much praised around the league a little a little bit too late probably for anthony davis but still a really good sign for gail benson's tenure and then also an interesting turn trent redden who had been working under david griffin in cleveland before his ouster there he is now an assistant gm on the clippers and there was an i don't know i i guess maybe it was just me had an expectation that when griffin got the head job and it looked like he was going to have the authority to hire yeah. some people under him that redden would be a natural target well, he well, lo- yeah joe varden reported, reported that it, it was yeah. that it uh yeah if not necessarily it was a likelihood that it was a well that a at least that griffin wanted it to happen and yeah. redden decided like michael winger did earlier this offseason to stay with the Clippers and I don't know exactly how much to read in that but still notable to have these two talented front office people neither of whom has the head job in LA not take that staying where they are instead of going somewhere else. James Edwards III also the Athletic reporting that the Pistons will target Seth Curry as a primary target in free agency doesn't really seem to be what they need frankly I mean now they are going to be losing Wayne Ellington uh, so they will need to get a little more shooting Luke Kennard, though, is a, a very similar type of player to Curry. You know, Curry maybe could be doing more as a. Oh, oh is that distracting? The the cat jumping up on you? No, that's fine. I, I think you're the one who's talking. Yeah, he's he's just he's just using you as a as a springboard to get out of my lap. Uh, but Curry doesn't seem to be the chief need there. I mean, they do need more three point shooting. They could use someone. Ish Smith's also be a free agent. Uh, they could use someone who can run pick and roll. But you know, you would think a wing, someone with some kind of size at the three would well, be. I I mean, their initial why target. break the streak? I mean, just just keep going, keep going with cards. But what? I mean, what yeah, I, they got Langston Galloway. I mean, they got a lot. They of, got a lot of guys. Undersized what, shooter types already. The thing that I do like about this is how it connects with the idea of Blake Griffin really running the show. But the problem is they have plenty of guys that work with that theory already, and so yeah. the three and the four, especially the three, are just such huge needs. And Detroit has limited financial flexibility. I've written about that before. Talked about John Lord in my stretch provision piece. So everything, even if it's a minimum contract and I assume Seth Curry's going to get more than that everything they throw at somebody that is not their greatest need really does take away their capacity and their ability to go after that and it's a real challenge for them and something yeah. that they're gonna have to deal with yeah I mean they're up against tax maybe they'll be able to use the full mid-level but yeah not a ton of resources we'll see if more gets opened up Jim Boylan in Chicago agreeing to a multi-year contract extension we don't know how many years uh, that is uh, for him and part 
part of the essential reason for that was because remember he'd already gotten i think another year and and a bump when he took on the semi-interim semi-permanent role once hoiberg was fired uh, but the essential reason was he needs to recruit some assistants they are very light on any kind of assistant peg pedigree at this point in time as uh my buddy bulls blogger joke this hire is really important because it's going to determine who the interim coach is when Boylan gets fired and a half nice a little bit of an update on andre godala he got clipped by by chris paul in the late going of game four and he he said he was a little a little hyper extension is what he told anthony slater after the game he is listed as probable for game five on wednesday in oakland and then do you want to warm up the voice I don't know. I mean, it's really important to me to just be able to still do the NBA cast. It takes a lot out of me, but uh, I think it is worth noting that Alan Crabb has opted in to his $18.5 million player option for next season. Another guy that I talked about in the stretch piece, more because of the idea of what it could mean for Brooklyn, because he would be the easiest way for them to add about, I think it's $12 million in yeah. space, if they need $12 million in space, because doing so without having to trade him because Crab is a negative value contract. That's why he picked up his option among among 18.6 million reasons. And Brooklyn has some options this summer. So I'm going to be interested in how all that works out for them. And yeah, I mean, we don't, we, the, the easy player options are pretty much done now, but we have some, we have some hard ones. We'll talk about those probably in the team preview over the next few weeks. Well, Mother's Day is nearly upon us now. I know I've been telling you to get Sherry's Berries for the last week or so for your mom and to do it in advance. And maybe if you're a procrastinator like some of us, especially the way I used to be in my younger days. You didn't listen and you still don't have anything for your mom for Mother's Day. But fear not, it is not too late to get those Sherry's Berries, special Mother's Day berries topped with chocolate chips, pink shimmer sugar, and swizzles. I had some sent to me about a week ago. These things are enormous. It's like four bites, even for my big, big mouth. I mean that literally, not figuratively. You can still choose your delivery date to ensure that your mom gets your gift exactly when you wanted to. And satisfaction is always guaranteed the the copy says don't wait until the last minute on this one well it already is the last minute but fortunately there's still time visit berries.com b-e-r-r-i-e-s.com to order your freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99 for the moms in your life to make mom really happy you can double the berry for just $10 more once again that's berries.com make sure you let them know that you came from us by clicking on the microphone in the upper right hand corner enter that cap space code once again that's berries.com promo code cap space so we'll get to Toronto and Philly now. A complete demolition as we record this with 309 remaining in the game. Toronto leads it 115 to 83. So total destruction throughout. Philly had a brief run to get it back to 13 at the start of the third. And it was only a one-point game after the first quarter, but a 37-17 second quarter largely decided the game. Pascal Siakam was back, looked much better, looked like himself in this one. Coming off of that bruised calf, he did tell Roz Golden Mude that he had some hamstring issues as well but uh, that calf was looking much better they're actually giving the ball uh but they did stick with despite Siakam's health that too big alignment and, and I thought that was a, a big difference in this game once again it absolutely was and beyond doing a, a strong job overall of contesting Philadelphia shots at the rim Philly was four of ten in the restricted area in the first quarter three of five in the second and that three of five they only got five shots in restricted 
restricted area, partially because that beginning of that, when they went on the run, that was when Toronto had Ibaka and Gasol on the floor. So it was deterring driving. It was getting Philly to take more jump shots, more floaters, and they were not hitting those shots. And also, incredibly importantly, it was sealing off the offensive glass. So Philly, in the competitive portion of this game, I believe they only had three credited offensive rebounds. And when you consider their personnel, you consider how much they they have guys that like to get the ball around the basket. Jimmy Butler missed a slew of layups. That number needs to be higher for Philly if they're missing as many shots as they were missing. Yeah, and obviously it's easier to offensive rebound misses around the basket, but that larger unit for Toronto, I mean, if you think about a lot of that time too, start of the second, start of the fourth, they're going with Siakam at the three Mm -hmm. in those units. So a lot more size, harder to get shots at the rim. And Toronto was actually, you know, had really been losing those minutes when Kawhi would sit. And at the start of the fourth, start of the second in particular, they were able to win those minutes. And with that the case, then when Toronto had their starters against Philly's bench units, it was more of a problem as well. Joel Embiid, another nightmare effort for him, was struggling with the the upper respiratory infection. He was probable, did not attend shoot-around, so he's really has had a pretty bad run of it just in terms of like run-of-the-mill kind of illnesses in addition to that knee. 13 points, took six of his 10 shots from three-point range, eight turnovers, zero offensive rebound, and still he was, they they got completely destroyed without him. He was only negative 15, so they were, they just had no prayer of stopping Toronto at all when he was out. Yeah, and by comparison, Tobias Harris was the the negative 34. So, I mean, and both those guys play a lot of their minutes together, but not exclusively, and that helps kind of encapsulate some of those non-Embiid but still not garbage-tastic minutes that ended this one. And Embiid's eight turnovers were a mix of forced and unforced, but a lot of them were just bizarre, like throwing a pass to a player who's just not in the vicinity or losing the ball out of bounds when there's there's a guy nearby, but they're not really forcing that turnover. Though, it started with something that I liked that Toronto pulled out, which was a couple of opportunistic doubles during that, I guess, the beginning, the second, I was going to call it the second unit, but there's a lot of starters on the floor the beginning of the second quarter norm powell was coming over a couple times and it just speeds joel and beat up a little bit and i've i've long believed that putting him forcing him to put the ball on the floor leads to benefits and i mean it's not always going to be eight turnovers and one assist but it's not the best part of his offense no it it isn't and gasol already was causing him problems and then i think they felt better about double teaming because you you had more length and size on the floor philly did not get up enough three-pointers only 10 in the first half made one of them Toronto was eight out of 20 so they got a lot of transition threes Danny Green in particular he finished with 17 points five of seven from downtown Lowry was excellent in this one game or uh no I'm sorry that actually belonged to Pascal Siaka plus 35 but Lowry had 19 points only took nine shots from the field to get their five assists he made some big plays especially to quell that brief run in the third getting to some loose balls getting some steals the type of plays that he does Kevin Arnovitz had a nice piece on that today well and and i mean i think you so the three pointers are worth emphasizing because that gets into why i picked toronto and five in this series was the basic math that toronto has more capable shooters i didn't expect them to win the possession game as much as they did in this one and i don't expect that to fully continue though philly can throw the ball all around the gym that's something that has happened this season but if toronto can dominate from three in terms of makes usually in terms of percentage as well hold the free throw margin pretty tight and then offensive rebounds, turnovers, keep that kind of close. It just works in their favor. There will be nights that they don't hit shots, to be sure. And there will be nights that Philly hit shots, though. I think another big part of this game was J.J. Redick being a complete non-factor offensively. And they didn't attack him too much defensively.
defensively, but he is a, a sore point yeah. that they, they can did go do it more, than more, more than yeah. game, more than they had in the Philly game. But that dynamic is what I expected to be in place for the entire series. And to Philly's credit, it hasn't been as much overall. But I think we'll see a you know closer to this maybe than what we saw in Philly in Game Six. And if that's the case, then Toronto has a better shot of of closing out the series. I'm not saying they're I'm, like they're a lock or anything silly like that. But I think we saw the 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 blueprint how closely they can follow it as well. Now it's just not going to happen that Toronto outscores Philly in fast break points, 33 to eight. Yeah. In, in Philly, and especially when you consider that ultimately this ended up as a much faster game than we have seen in this series. Toronto, in theory, is more comfortable playing at a slow pace uh, compared to Philly, but uh, certainly they outran them today, and, and the Philly turnovers didn't help much there. The Philly missed layups did not help uh, much there. Then I think Philly, you know, could have finished a little bit better around the rim. Um, well, and it's not yeah. like Toronto, I mean, they were playing with energy, but they weren't just killing the Sixers by everybody running down the floor and creating those runs they were taking advantage of the situations that presented yeah i thought lowry and siakam are, are those are the guys who are going to push the pace for this team you know it's not leonard quite as much although they were so concerned about leonard he had a relatively average game 21 points uh, on 20 shooting possessions uh did not have a turnover of which he had seven in the last game but they just didn't need him to score an iso nearly as much right and another important development from this game which was wasn't all that surprising except that it's taken five games is the pick and pop jumpers from big in the second quarter that really opened up Marcus Gasol Serge Ibaka and we saw the effects of that when Joel Embiid was closing out harder than he usually does on Serge Ibaka's mid-rangers I mean Ibaka has this wonderful mid-ranger you brought up during the NBA cast that at one point during this year Ibaka was shooting 59% on that shot and it really does open things up because it can pull Joel Embiid away from the basket and this was another reminder that when Joel Embiid is a away from the basket either because he's not in the game or because he's just away from the basket on that play in this iteration Philly's help defense specifically their help rim protection is extremely limited there were a series of plays where like Pascal Siakam on a drive or Kyle Lowry in transition once they got past their guy if Embiid wasn't there it was just a layup line yeah that's a great point or if Embiid was out of the game they went with Monroe in the first half he was unable to contribute he was negative 18 or in the last game so then they went with Mike Scott at center later on still no chance uh, at stopping him with him at center and uh also they were able to get contributions from the deeper bench really for the first time uh you know norm powell had a couple of bad mistakes but you know he at least uh, they weren't negative when he was on the floor and then van vliet actually got 16 minutes they played him a little bit more than in game four and because everyone was hitting their shots he was able to get that drive and kick game going a little bit more um and moreover i thought well siakam was only two to seven from three it's the timing of those you hit your first two and as you're saying then it really spaces out the opposition i'm happy you brought up van vliet it was it was he's struggled so much in these playoffs great to see him have a little bit more success i don't know if that's going to yeah. continue in the rest of the series but i mean i remember we got asked something about uh, on the nba cast not this time but a couple times ago about the best point guard backup point guard remaining in the playoffs and it took us a long time to get to van vliet even though he was to me the best of those options in the regular season because he has struggled in both series so far yeah i think for next game uh, philly's going to come out and play a lot better they'll, they'll do much better in the effort plays i mean they got killed siakam ibaka lowry those guys were getting every loose ball uh philly also fouled a ton in the first quarter which was uh which was really ugly got the raptors into the bonus like probably four minutes into the quarter and gave up a lot of fouls on drives that right and also continue. it didn't affect brett 
Brown's rotation too much, but it, it affects the ways guys defend. Like there was a play shortly after Tobias Harris got a second foul. He was still in the game and Pascal Siakam drove right at him and Tobias Harris, you know, did the little kind of lean away a little bit of blonde coat there because getting a third foul six minutes into the game is pretty close to catastrophic. Yeah, and Embiid, you know, he can't possibly play worse in this game. Ben Simmons, another zero for him. Yeah, in, I mean, in- he was such a non-entity offensively. Like defensively, he had a couple of tips and a couple of fouls, but I, th- I thought he was, you could see his presence there, but offensively, he just wasn't as involved. Yeah, well, I mean, not as involved as maybe the regular season on. I mean, it's yeah, still, to, to me, as you look at this team going forward, obviously Embiid's health is probably question number one, but the fit of him is question number two. And, you know, Jimmy Butler has been by far their best player in this postseason. I do think that they're going to win game six, that we'll go back to a game seven. And, you know, anything can happen there, obviously. But, uh, you know, we saw that Raptors defense show up in and really force turnovers and fuel their transition game for the first time since game one. Well, and that and, was key. And Toronto was also fortunate that we, I've been surprised by how porous their transition defense has been. But so when you're, you're making. about Philly? No, Toronto. Oh, yeah. That they're, you know, they're just missing assignments and those kind of things. Like they have great personnel, but in this game, didn't have to deal with it much because they're making so many shots and not turning the ball over that much. So that, you know, the, the feedback loops could become a much bigger factor in Philly's favor in a game six. Though I'm more bullish on Toronto's chances in that game. Than I think. Yeah, I mean, they could very easily win it. It does seem to be turning their way, but it, it, it's important to remember that one game ago, it seemed like Philly outplayed them and Kawhi Leonard had to put him on his back to win it. So, yeah. And we may need that type of a performance from him, again, if they are going to win that game six. A couple other things to look for. I mean, Redick, only six shot attempts in 31 minutes, and he was actually, he and Embiid were on play, pace to play a ton of minutes had this been competitive it just wasn't and for Redick, just that handoff game with Embiid just was not going well I mean I think you just got to get away from any Joel Embiid straight post-ups at this point it's not working more pick and roll with him they were able to get him going more with the pick and roll in game three when he was going well um he had a couple of plays where he just didn't have the explosion around the basket I I read something today where Landry an interview with Landry Shamit from earlier in the year in which he said that he his job every time they won on a plane flight was to get four milkshakes for Joel Embiid uh, every time they got in a plane from Chick-fil-A. Uh, hopefully Embiid didn't continue eating like that, but he definitely is heavier and he has not had the explosion and throw that in with the knee tendonitis and the illnesses he's had and, and it, it's been a struggle for him. I would like to see them try to not post up Ben Simmons off the ball, but to try to just have him go back to goal and just try and go through guys a little bit. Now when Kawhi's guarding him, maybe that's not there, but then you could try some small small pick and rolls the problem is Lowry is a great post defender yeah. himself but I, I mean, think he's done a huge job on Jimmy Butler too we yeah. should make sure that we talk about that basically every game in this series because of what that opens up for Toronto's defense yeah I mean and Green has had the primary assignment on Butler but they're have no problem switching on the perimeter and they're totally comfortable in that matchup with Lowry and Butler scores okay I mean he had 22 points in this one got to the foul line a ton in the first half to keep it semi-interesting at seven assists as well so yeah it's a, but I think that would be a way to try and get Ben Simmons going I mean they're just they're not pushing the ball at all and part of that is you know guys are playing a lot of minutes that you know Embiid is not really going to run the floor so I think what they got to do to get just something from Simmons another thing I would say too is when it's an Embiid post up when it's a Reddick or or, uh when it's Butler trying to post up a mismatch instead of putting Simmons way on the baseline in the dunker spot put him at the elbow because then he's either in a position where he can screen for guys on the opposite side of the floor or he can cut down the lane 
if a, a double team comes his guy is able to just kind of stay on the axis and attack and Simmons is kind of right under the basket he has to cut right under the rim to receive a pass whereas if you put him at the elbow then he can catch the ball on the move going towards the rim you get an easier passing angle for I think a lot of teams should consider doing that sometimes putting a guy in the weak side elbow on penetration or on post-ups and they're just more versatility there where they can screen away if there's help off of them or they can cut more easily when the double team comes yeah I like it it's it, it helps I think it creates more opportunities for the offense and can kind of make it make it a little bit harder to help and recover defense yeah and Toronto unlikely to shoot 16 of 40 from downtown again but I think even the fact that these guys shot it this well this game is just going to have the gravity that's going to open up the middle of the lane um, especially because it was their starters that that did yeah. most of that damage it wasn't the garbage time lineups granted Toronto Toronto does not have the most offensively potent garbage time guys yeah and Gasol was three or five and Leonard I mean he had a bunch of dunks in this game even in the half court I mean his fake spin move is just so deadly I mean he beat Ben Simmons just straight up with that for a dunking game four he had one today on Mike Scott like it's his he just the pace with which he plays he's never you know he's probably only going absolute full speed maybe like five percent of the time but he's always changing gears I mean he'll be sometimes he'll run a pick and roll and he'll be like walking with the ball in the lane he's just so incredibly patient and imperturbable and he he's got such a good handle and such big hands he has the confidence that he's not going to get ripped up well and we saw that handle development with the in and out dribble he pulled on Joel Embiid which was oh, a, yeah. a, a highlight he he sort of ruined with a missed layup but he eventually it worked out but it was a, a beautiful move for from him that I hadn't really seen before anything else on this one no I think that's about it Let's get to last night's games now. Golden State and Milwaukee. We apologize for not doing this the night of, but we're a little ahead of the number of episodes that we had scheduled. We only have five a week scheduled in terms of ads. So we decided to just not do an episode for last night, but obviously we needed to talk about those games and that'll enable us to do more games later this week as these series get uh, later in their run. So let's talk about Houston tying the series uh, at two games apiece. And this game felt very very similar to me to game two but just in reverse where Houston controlled it completely throughout and then the Warriors were able to helter skelter get back and but it seemed like even at the moment when Golden State had shots to tie it that they just weren't going to go in for them I mean just the the way they're playing they didn't even come close to deserving to win this game right and I think that's to me the important takeaway from game four is it was the second straight contest where the Rockets substantially outplayed the Warriors this one did not have Kevin Durant's heroics you know to, to bring them back in though he did score 34 points on 27 shooting possessions so it's you know Kevin Durant had another very good game but I thought the Rockets did a really good job overall I thought they defended well and they benefited from some some cold Golden State shooting we've seen that at moments in this series to be sure and a, a good proxy for that was if you kind of think about who had a good game and who didn't I think a lot more Rockets played well than Warriors I mean Harden had a wonderful game I thought Gordon you know he missed some threes but I thought he played well I thought Austin Rivers did a nice job. P.J. Tucker was a monster on the offensive glass. And then for the Warriors, it was a, a narrower cast of characters that I thought did particularly well. Yeah. And I mean, Kerr is uh, playing these guys a lot of minutes, 43 minutes for both Steph uh, and KD in this one. Uh, Harden was absolutely on fire early, but this is kind of interesting with the Rockets where they can get hot a lot of times and get out to a lead. But if you stay in the game with them, then they a lot of times can revert back and get cold. I mean, there was a, a point at 
which the Rockets were shooting the lights out from three and then they went one for their last 12 and I think they only scored eight points over the last six or so minutes of the game and two of those were intentional foul free throws down the end I mean Tucker was unbelievable I mean he just he's getting ignored and he's either sprinting in from the corner or even hanging out more in the dunker spot now and yeah he can't really finish an alley-oop or something like that but if there's a drive and someone goes to help Tucker is going to go right after the ball and I mean just his pursuit is unbelievable I mean he it doesn't matter where the offensive rebound bounces he runs as fast as he can in that direction coaches at lower levels will talk about rebounding out of your area and that is something that Tucker does extremely well but on the other hand you know Golden State hasn't figured out after playing 11 games against this guy over the last two years that like this is what he does and there's so many times that the shot goes up you know an iso three-pointer you shouldn't be in a compromised rebounding position they've got one guy going to the glass and four guys are just kind of standing there waiting for the ball to bounce to them instead of if just one guy hits pj tucker don't even worry about getting the rebound just try to get your butt on him keep a body on him and then the other three guys can go get the rebound and instead they're all just kind of standing there and letting tucker just run in front of them so it's really i mean the warriors execution in this game their late game execution has been really bad in these playoffs tonight i mean even as they're getting back into it you know clay thompson that makes absolutely zero effort to deny the ball in bounds to eric gordon after a make when they're down only two well, and, and like draymond green had two turnovers inside the last six minutes one dribbled yeah. it off his foot the other one chris paul stole it from behind him in the backcourt and yeah there was contact there but i thought paul got ball first so i don't i don't really have too much yeah. of an issue with that and the warriors had three three shot fouls in this game all three of which were obvious obvious calls like no debate about the landing zone on those calls um and yeah you know they did not shoot it well from three eight out of 33 but they missed a ton of wide open layups too and so much of their initial deficit was missed layups that then led to fast breaks from Houston and though the Warriors did eventually outscore them in fast break points we've seen that as the game has gone on they run more and Houston runs less but you know they were already down by way too much and a lot of those buckets by the Warriors late were you know Draymond Green is going to push it up one-on-one and then just like you know go past everyone because Houston is kind of worried about the three-point shooters and not as worried about the twos um Harden finished with 38 points 13 to 29 6 of 17 from three six of eight at the foul line he got one three shot foul then he got another and one on a three only four assists so it's been a lot of him working on his own if you take out his fourth quarter he was absolutely ridiculous and unstoppable even if you take out his last six minutes he was unstoppable I mean that sequence where he started actually shooting a few mid-rangers like he hit a mid-ranger over Iguodala he hit a, a floater off yet another offensive rebound then a, an impossible euro step to through two guys I mean it was really an awesome performance by him although he did run out of gas a little bit late to the point where he almost was like didn't even want to try and get a matchup because he just uh, was gonna try and go uh, against Iguodala or Thompson or something like that so Rockets late game offense definitely could use some work but they they do at least run the time down and they do at least avoid turning it over in those situations and the Warriors eventually ran out of time I think that his flaws have been overblown other than game three where he was just bad I mean I gave him one star game three game oh, three. oh you're talking, Cur- Cur- you're talking, I'm talking about Curry, Curry. Yeah. yeah yeah Curry for this series is shooting 26 percent three and that's three 
averaging three makes on 11 and a half attempts. Some of them have been forced. Some of them have just, he's missed more than normal. And some have been saying reckless stuff about like, he's been terrible in the playoffs. I mean, he's shooting 40% from three in the playoffs. He had one of the best true shooting percentages in the league going into these last two games where he hasn't been nearly as good. So that sort of stuff isn't there. But Durant has been their best offensive player overall in the series. And he had another another strong night, that 34 on 12 of 22 from the field, eight of 10 from the line, got there a lot and was was a part of the Warriors getting into the bonus early on. I believe that was- yeah, in the th- he, he didn't really get going until the game had kind of gotten out of hand though. That's true. Yeah, this, this wasn't game three where Durant was big at both the beginning of the third and the beginning of the fourth quarter. So yeah, it, was, it wasn't like a star turn for him or anything like that. But the guy that was the most surprising to me in this was, I thought it was just a bad game overall for Klay Thompson. He forced some shots, had a few weird turnovers. The three-shot foul on Harden was, actually, that was a four-point play by Harden. Was It was just a, a weird miscue by him. And Thompson usually, I mean, yeah, he'll maybe do a squirrely turnover or take some bad shots. He's normally a player who puts a fair, an inconsistent, but a fair amount on the table and doesn't take a whole lot off. He's just been a little bit off rhythm. I mean, Harden is a tough cover for him. Hasn't done the best job on, on Chris Paul overall. And I didn't expect them to need more from Thompson just because this Rockets team had, you know, they've been good since since the year turn, basically. But I didn't think they were going to challenge the Warriors as much as they have. And so Thompson, you know, Curry not being his normal self, those things have made a bigger difference. Yeah, Tucker really, outside of Harden, was the player of the game. Game best, plus 11, 17 points, the five offensive rebounds, and he forced another couple of team offensive rebounds as well. And he shot it well from three, three out of six. He was hitting those corner bombs that, and I think having him be a little bit more of a threat you know the games where he has three shots or four shots you know that's really not when the Rockets have it going and another reason why he got the ball more and was more free to go after the offensive glass is because Clint Capella only played 21 minutes in this game and he had some offensive rebounds early but finished with only six points and they really went with Tucker at center for large swaths of the game they went away from that in the first couple of games because they were getting killed so badly on the offensive glass and the Warriors just have not been able to get that going at all in the games in Houston more indication just that Houston has out efforted the Rockets in those games I mean you know they're playing Harden at power forward and Eric Gordon at the three and everyone is tiny I mean the Warriors have a lot more size on the floor and they're not playing like it uh that's a a big part I think Kevin Durant while he has scored very well in the series I don't think he's done the other things very well rebounding protecting the rim uh he really is especially now with this elbow issue he doesn't really seem to want to mix it up physically uh you know i think curry has had a poor rebounding series uh, as well you know usually he can have a, an impact on the defensive glass that, that wasn't the case um a couple other small notes golden state committed the new sin that we've been talking about a lot of the oh the guys at half court about to shoot it from half court and we're going to use our foul to give and then they let d'antoni get a sideline out of bounds and they uh kerr put in jordan bell and jordan bell wasn't able to stick with harden on the back door and he goes right in for a layup but why give them a fresh clock there on the sideline out of bounds when they can throw it in and the clock doesn't start until they touch it when you've got harden double teamed at half court with 2.9 seconds left you know that's not an advantage situation so that they really outsmarted themselves there um 
I also thought that the Warriors had a ton of success early. I mean, Steph Curry with that excellent first quarter, getting to the rim a ton. Anytime he got the matchup on Harden or Capella, he was just blowing right by them and getting lapped and actually making them in large part. And then they just didn't go to that for the next three quarters. And all of a sudden, then in the fourth, he got a couple of matchups and was able to drive again. Uh, but I think the Warriors just in general, offensively, like the beautiful game's not working. Some of their ATOs have worked pretty well at the play that Kerr drew up to cause some confusion to get KD the wide open three that could have tied the game at the end. You know, that stuff is working okay. But there are these possessions where they're going to have to go one-on-one. Houston is going to switch those plays. They're not like the Warriors where they're going to try to avoid the switch at times. And so they're just, you know, why would Kevin Durant ever have to shoot against P.J. Tucker? Or why would you have Steph Curry trying to ISO against anyone other than James Harden or Clint Capella? Capella, you know, isn't in the game that much. That's part of why, because they were seeking him out and just going at him and, and he couldn't defend. Uh, but And you also have the advantage of really trying to tire out Harden a little bit more. And uh, especially out on the floor, you know, that's where he's at a disadvantage with his lateral quickness. Also get Harden in foul trouble. And to your point about Curry as a driver, in this game, after his struggles at the rim in game three, Curry, eight of 11 on twos, four of 14 on three, and had some assists off of those drives as well. I thought that he's looking, he's at his best in this series as a driver. And that there are a series of reasons why that could be the case. And yeah, he he did flub a layup, but he was six of seven in the restricted area overall. So I think they should be going after that more. And there has been some nice written work about how the stylistic preferences, like Zach Lowe had the piece about foul seeking versus foul avoidance and all that. Broadly speaking, I think the Warriors could use more of the Rockets' ruthlessness because they can take advantage of that against the Rockets specifically. Yeah, Tucker in particular gets extremely physical. And, and KD is the one warrior who will do a little bit of that stuff. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the Rockets haven't had a significant advantage at the foul line this year. You know, it's, uh, and I, I didn't think they got any like cheap calls tonight. You know, I thought the Warriors were complaining about a lot of calls that frankly were pretty obvious. Like Clay Thompson gets his fourth foul as he is just behind Harden and reaches in. I mean, it's just an obvious reach in. Like you're, and he you might have thought, oh yeah, I was clean. But like when you're beaten, you reach in like that. Like you're, you're setting yourself up for a call to be made. Uh, a lot of Golden State's problems defensively will go away if they actually just score a little bit better and make more of an effort to get back. And, and D'Antoni and the Rockets really deserve a lot of credit for the way they have pushed the ball, at least in the first half of these games. I mean, it, they, they seem to run out of gas late. And also the Warriors in these two games in Houston have just shot it better in the second half. And so they haven't had as many chances to run. Uh, but Houston, I mean, I think they had 11 fast break points in the first half and finished the game with 11 fast break points. They're also just trying to run the time down and not go as fast with a lead in the second. Uh, Kevon Looney was a little bit better tonight, especially in the first half. Uh, although he, Harden has really torched him uh, in the last couple of games. You know, he, Looney had success against Harden last year and Harden seems to have figured him out reasonably well. Uh, something to watch very closely, Andre Iguodala, who is the team worst negative 17 in 29 minutes, came down oddly. Actually, I think it might've been the takeoff on the free throw that Harden missed right before Golden State missed those two threes to tie it and was really rubbing his left knee you know he struggled with left knee tendonitis basically his entire warriors career so if he tweaked that that could be 
a major issue for Golden State with how thin they've been. Sean Livingston continues to struggle. He missed a wide open layup for no real reason. He's good for two terrible fouls a game uh, and, you know, really can't create much offensively anymore. He's kind of just, you know, he can't shoot. He's just a, a body out there that they hope isn't going to get taken advantage of on a switch too badly. Uh, they did get 11 minutes out of McKinney and he didn't kill him too badly either. Uh, he happened to be out there when the Warriors went on a quick 11-0 run to get back into contact late in the third. Um, and I thought the end of the third really was the key portion of the game to me with the Warriors get back within four and then the Rockets end of the third early fourth push it right back up to double digits again and that included the the play where they had the foul to give um but I mean it never felt at any point that Golden State you know deserved to be in really either of these two games and it was just when it was cooking it was just crazy Kevin Durant and Steph Curry performances rather than just a, a total group out and they weren't making it as hard for the Rockets defensively and the Rockets got a 53s in this game but in the first half at one point they'd taken 23 threes in 18 minutes and that was just a credit to the Rockets for running more and getting some stops but also just Golden State not matching up and the Rockets deserve credit I think for out executing Golden State both in terms of individual technique and and Golden State's probably had more lapses of communication than the Rockets which is crazy because the Rockets don't run that much stuff they had some back doors uh that Houston got like Clay gave up one to Eric Gordon Harden threw a couple of nice passes there a couple times where Golden State lazily switched it and they went back door as well so uh you know, golden state still statistically is uh, a 79 percent favorite in this series as the home team going back 2-2 but uh, obviously uh it's on a knife's edge and we'll have to see where andre Iguodala is at physically going into game five right and all the the variants of you know oh maybe i would say the warriors even though they've been outplayed in the last few games they're the better team when it's a best of three series those sorts of things matter a little bit less and it's you know it can be who shots fall fall and it's a make or miss league but that becomes even more prevalent in this sort of a sample and broadly speaking houston's bench has played meaningfully better than the warriors bench as well and so that that those minutes could end up being a couple other small notes i thought harden has been doing a great job of recognizing whenever Draymond green gets switched out onto a small and he goes to the rim hard on those plays knowing that draymond is not back there uh iguodala durant in particular have not really been able to stop harden and if you don't have help behind you like there's just no way to stop james harden because you're so worried about the step back he's gonna have the ability to blow by the Warriors actually started the game more willing to switch Steph onto Harden and Harden and Steph's done an okay job on him most of the time but then of course Steph picks up a couple of dumb fouls and they have to go away from that strategy again anything else on this one no not particularly you want to move on to the other game yeah you mean Kyrie Irving's likely last home game in Boston okay I'm it, not going to say that it, yet it, but. it sure felt that way though I mean that, that's yeah. overly dramatic and where I want to start with this I'll go through my exact thought process Giannis makes a dunk to put the Bucks up one with 8.33 left in the third quarter and then almost immediately commits his his fourth foul unsurprisingly Boonholzer takes him out brings in Pat Connaughton and and then at that point and then at that point the game's tied because it was, it was a shoot and then I go okay I know how this is gonna go Boonholzer is gonna be overly cautious with a star and then a couple of minutes later i think it was about a minute later milton picks up his fourth at that point it's a tie game and that was completely wrong that was the stretch when george hill Connaughton, and largely a bucks bench unit though there were some starters on the floor completely took control of this game and ripped the celtics heart out yeah i mean to me this game you know everyone wants to say all right the celtics aren't as together as the box and they didn't try hard enough they didn't execute they shot nine of 41 from three and some of those those makes were late once the game was pretty much over i mean they were like seven out of 
37 at one point like it and i mean these were like wide wide open looks i mean to see you know, al horford hit a couple of late but he was way off jason tatum has been a good three-point shooter in his career he finally hit one but he was one for five i'll give you the first the first three quarter stat boston yeah. five of 30 oof it's yeah, hard and now it's, the bucks weren't much better the bucks but were I felt, seven of 31 in the same time frame. but but i thought the bucks were kind of jacking up shots more and right. their, their looks weren't as good to me i mean you know it was kind of brooke lopez three feet behind the line pretty well contested i mean these celtics looks a lot of them were just wide ass open and they just were not going down i mean and you know eventually they, they kind of crumbled and then in the fourth quarter Giannis took over and they had absolutely no answers for him at all i mean he had 39 points on 15 to 22 from the field also hit two out of five from three uh didn't do it as much with the foul line seven out of ten but you know they weren't following him as much he was just getting into the paint he also had five offensive rebounds so he, he was uh, unbelievable they had no answers for him at all the the adjustments that Budenholzer made uh, to attack or, or with more screening and also just to open up the floor a little bit especially in transition Zach Lowe mentioned this that they've been running their guys further down into the corners on the fast break so you can't kind of do that whole load to him as much because you got to take care of the corner shooters as well but you know Brooke Lopez in particular did a nice job running the floor Middleton so I mean Giannis was totally unstoppable but oh. I mean it really came back to just that Celtics shooting performance I'd be very interested to see you know what the second spectrum data on just who got the better shots would say in this game that's a really good point and so to Giannis's fourth quarter I think is where is worth focusing on a little bit Milwaukee did take that eight point lead the Bucks were up one technically speaking when Giannis when Giannis got his fourth foul and did not return he then plays the entire fourth quarter 17 points six and nine from the field five of seven from the line seven rebounds one assist and just it, w- it was incredible like he, he was just getting to his spots he was attacking mismatches when they presented themselves he also had a, a couple nice help defensive plays i don't think he was credited he, he was credited with one block no steals in that quarter and you know boston also missed a bunch of shots in the fourth they missed they missed shots throughout the game but he was every bit to me the mvp yeah and we'll get to see Kawhi. we're, we're recording this monday night we'll get to see Kawhi tomorrow night uh but you know he's been able to i think the three-way race for mvp of the playoffs so far between Giannis. Kawhi and KD has been like amazing I can't remember another playoffs where we had three guys playing at, at this type of level you know against pretty damn good competition all of them um and, and it's a shame that yeah. Jokic doesn't get to be he he's not at their level but he's been great too I just wanted to mention that as well oh yeah I mean he's been great Lillard is a, has been fantastic as well I mean there's been a lot of great performances let's just you know context here that Portland and Denver are not playing against the same level of teams as everyone else is playing against in the second round well I know they are not especially defensively uh you know i thought the celtics did a little bit better a job of doing what we talked about with Giannis uh, of making him take more threes and he made two out of five but you know again you're better to live with that to some extent i mean i think eventually just all of the missed shots broke boston's will defensively in that fourth quarter where there are a lot of plays especially when they horford was just so exhausted that and i thought budenholzer actually did a really good job here george hill late in the fourth eh, it was probably maybe five minutes left in the fourth you know they're up by like eight or ten or so uh calls for a george hill lopez pick and roll which they really had not run hardly at all and i think he just saw that al horford was exhausted and that's why i wanted to run that because george hill just blew by horford to the point where horford couldn't even stay with him enough to jump and contest it. he was just that far behind him and then horford went out he he needed a break and then he was sitting at the scorer's table for a long time and they were giving up a bunch of uncontested dunks and layups when they were going with marcus morris at center during that period um 
um george hill just looks unbelievable i mean i can't remember the last time he looked this athletic we've talked about this after game three but he's just like getting offensive rebounds and blowing by guys and pick and rolls like losing guys on spin moves playing great defense on Kyrie. it's really just where the hell this came from with george hill i have no idea after his last two years it's pretty great timing for him though because i mean all all expectations have to be that the bucks are or anybody else are not going to pick up that 18 million dollars so he's going to hit for agency and i, I wonder what's going to happen there not going to obviously do the bucks off preview right now and i, I meant i alluded to content but we should mention he he had another nice game nine points 10 rebounds in 33 minutes which is remarkable for a bench player and yeah. he was plus 22 i mean he was Team on the floor high. for some of their some of their best runs and boston's much ballyhoo depth they got marcus smart back marcus smart to be just he didn't look like himself and that happens yeah. well he took a lot of three-pointers which was yeah i guess that took, that looked like himself. yeah he did and, take and seven he had a couple of weird turnovers and, which was also like himself yeah. but just i i didn't see the impact as much defensively and so yeah Boston, there, there was a there's a pretty funny clip where someone asked like oh what did marcus smart what impact did he have and like Giannis just like picks up the box score which said that he was one for seven and negative 13 for three points and he just kind of like just kept looking at the box score for like I, I will note seconds. that apparently after that after that clip cut off he talked about marcus smart's and to the celtics i wanted to mention that but i haven't I, yeah I, but, but still it's it's, it's kind of like oh yeah yeah and i i mean clearly that was just asked by someone who was like writing a story about how awesome i mean that's one of my least favorite journalists Tros is like in the press conference you're writing some story about like how awesome someone on the other team is and like right after they've lost you know right after the game they've won or lost you're like asking the star of the other team to like praise someone on like the team that you're in the middle of a series with you know it's just kind of it's like yeah especially if it's yeah. not like somebody you have a, like they have a personal relationship right maybe yeah. in that sort of a circumstance they can yeah. they they'll they'll be more willing to talk because it's their friend or their college teammate or yeah or at least ask it at shoot around or something man like anyway uh yeah. that's too in the weeds nobody cares about that um yeah what, what else you got on this one well i think from a big picture perspective a 3-1 lead when the superior seated team has it it's not over i mean we we've seen it happen before going back to 2016 but for me well it's only happened three times in nba, NBA history, history. I, I think that we're i don't i don't have any particular doubt that milwaukee could win another game in boston if they have to so for me i expect this to go five it might go six but i mean milwaukee has they have a stranglehold on this series and i you know we saw some of those games i remember going back to the nba cast that we did early in the season boston was carving up milwaukee getting that weak side help and kicking it out i just been so fixated on the idea that tactically and personnel wise this boston team could be a really tough matchup and and certainly if they hit more of their shots i think this series takes on a different tenor and it it could it could be 2-2 it could be many other things but it is significant that with all these other series looking like they're nip and tuck milwaukee is in the catbird seat yeah certainly they are a massive favorite to close it out and how the storylines have changed since they got completely destroyed in game one but remember feldman had that stat right of this decade all the teams that won by 15 plus on the road ended up losing the series many of them pretty handled uh and that's looking like it's gonna be the case here i mean Kyrie irving just was not himself i mean it, certainly there was some pressure for the bucks he talked afterwards about how there's a lot of help in the lane and they really put a, a lot of pressure on you but he's just missing shots that he usually makes. yeah he's a tough shot maker but even like wide open ones i mean he was one out of seven from three he's five for his last 28 on jumpers outside of 12 feet in this series i mean that's just insane i, I that's got to be like the worst three game shooting stretch of Kyrie irving's career to shoot that badly i mean he just does not miss like this and you know it's not like these are just such 
usually he can beat his man pretty well it's not like these are such unbelievable defenders he's getting the switch a lot of times to him he's getting pretty good looks for him and he's made a career out of being able to hit close to 50 percent on those type of shots he's actually gotten to the foul line pretty well and they were able to get a little bit more on the offensive glass uh with the bucks kind of switching more their matchups scrambled they're not as impenetrable in the paint i mean i thought boston's shot chart through three was pretty good frankly i mean they got 20 shots at the rim through three quarters they missed a, a fair number of them just you know relatively unpressured and, and obviously the jump shots it didn't go down for them either you know you could also say hey the buck shot eight out of 37 and they won from three and they won very comfortably and certainly if we knew if boston wasn't going to win the three-point battle in this series that they were going to have a very difficult time winning games but i think like people who are saying oh brad stevens like he sucked he's gotten totally out coached i mean they were getting good shots in this game you know i, I do think that they haven't executed as well against Giannis the last couple of games and that you know the plan that worked well in game one i mean he had a plan that worked at least in game one Giannis had his worst game of the season basically against them in part because of the strategy that they had so i i put this much more on the players i mean it's not brad stevens fault that kyrie irving can't hit an open jump shot or that jason tatum's one went one for five three in this game and numerous yeah, that he has one three-point make in the entire series, series through four games right and something that, that i did find interesting in this game i thought even though milwaukee had been a successful low turnover team that boston might be able to get the new time only eight turnovers for the bucks only four of those live ball and so boston wasn't able to convert those into easy points as often and milwaukee has a fabulous half-court defense and i thought i agree with you that boston got good shots but i thought they would be able to create cultivate more of an advantage in those circumstances they have. and just going down the line of guys like gordon hayward after game one has been completely non-existent in this series he was one of five tonight rosier was one out of five in his 10 minutes you know he had a big game one and then he completely fell apart after that the other thing i thought stevens maybe could have tried is to you know just go baines and horford together i mean to i realized that milwaukee's spacing problems have gotten them out of that but that unit was so good for them and they could at least maybe protect paint a little bit more there a uh, couple other notes Kyrie definitely struggled defensively in this series i think he focused a little bit too much on trying to make plays instead of saying solid you know there's one play where Giannis gets the ball at the nail and Kyrie just you know swipes at the ball and then just leaves Giannis the lane to go right to the rim and then swipes again and falls you know you're at the very least in that situation you can try to move your feet as in theory the quicker guy and just keep your chest in front of him and stay solid and try to trust some help behind you instead he just reached and you're guess what like you're not gonna knock the ball out of the hands of the guy with like the biggest hands in NBA history with like you know a 7-4 wingspan when you're 6-1 um and he's standing there with two hands in the ball uh Terry Rozier did not get the scouting report that we presented last game on that Pat Connaughton sprints at you and jumps as high as he can in the air every time someone is about to shoot a three-pointer he got a three-pointer blocked by Connaughton where a simple pump fake you know knowing that should have been able to get him open uh and just for the record the three teams that have come back to win a seven game series down 3-1 is the road team 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers we're gonna be referencing that series until we die for sure 1995 Houston Rockets and then the 1968 Boston Celtics in a very underrated series the Eastern Division Finals the Celtics had won eight championships in a row the year before that Philly went 68 and 13 and killed them and then Philly goes up three games to one with the same team basically the next year and and Boston is down three three to one. I mean, 
if you're looking at the trend you had no reason to believe that boston could ever come back in that series and then they win the the last three games including one uh, on philly's court and, and that actually will chamberlain then got traded to the lakers in the offseason from uh that sixers teams that was that was a a classic series that people don't really talk about that much um all right anything to talk about here before we go yeah my piece on the stretch provision is now available at the athletic you can check that out and now that we're starting to see teams be down with three losses get ready for offseason previews to kick back in full force and then we're about a week away from the lottery and so you can keep an eye on those so those will be all at the athletic you'll have, i tweet them out of course so a lot going on and just keep watching the nba cap yeah we'll be back uh well i guess as you're you're listening to this unless you're a patreon subscriber uh, you missed tuesdays but we'll be back uh, on thursday for game six not sure which one we're going to do that yet that depends on what happened today which you know but we don't we are recording this oh we speaking of that that's all. something else we should oh, mention yeah. the patreon mailbag oh yeah yeah that, that is a good point we uh came out with that a little bit late it was the, the april edition but we've been uh pretty busy with the playoffs here so a lot of really interesting questions uh, on that uh, as well so we encourage you to subscribe at patreon.com slash duncan larue talk to y'all probably on wednesday night till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 